0: In your Bibles, or on your phone, or ever how you're going to read, um, turn with me to Psalm 103. Once you get there, I'll read for us, then I will pray, and we will, we will dive right in. Psalm 103, starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Let us pray. Father, what amazing words did we just hear, that you love us like a father, that you show us compassion, that you overwhelm us with benefits and with mercy and with grace. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. We live in an age of cynicism. This was the conclusion of a recent study. They interviewed, it was a 12-year study, and they interviewed over 400,000 consumers, And the ultimate conclusion that they came from this is that we are cynical people. When they interviewed these people, they asked them about various brands, and out of all these people, they found that 71% had little faith that brands would deliver on their promises. 73% felt they felt that brands must now act on the good of society; they must act for the good of the planet. And yet, they thought that less than half of these brands were trustworthy. And 75% of these brands, they felt that they could disappear overnight and it would be easily replaced. Cynical. And this level of cynicism is not just restricted to the marketplace. We see it in all facets of our life. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, said these words about the effects of this culture of cynicism. Cynicism begins with the wry assurance that everyone has an angle. Behind every silver lining is a cloud. A cloud. The cynic is always observing, critiquing, but never engaged, loving, and hoping. To be cynical is to be distant. While offering a false intimacy of being in the know, cynicism actually destroys intimacy. It leads to a creeping bitterness that can deaden and even destroy the spirit. We are a cynical people. We are distant. We are grumbling. And as a result, we are missing out on the hope and love that is offered to us in Christ. And maybe as I read Psalm 103 this morning, maybe did you catch yourself at all? Maybe that, that cynical voice in the back of your head being like, are these truths really real? Is this just another false promise like I hear after ad after ad after ad that actually doesn't ring true? Is this just another spiritual platitude that I can slap on to a band-aid to my problems? Is this true? Paul Miller comments again, cynicism is the air we breathe, and it is suffocating our hearts. Unless we become disciples of Jesus, the present evil age will deaden and then destroy our prayer lives, not to mention our souls. So how do we move from this this culture, this age of cynicism? How do we move from people that are grumbling and cynical to people of praise? How do we become people that cultivate thankfulness in a culture of cynicism. Well, as David is going to show us, we will fix our eyes on Jesus, and we will cling to him, we will depend on him, and we will find our hope on him alone. And the author of this psalm today, David, is going to lead us on a path, a path away from grumbling, a path away from cynicism cynicism to thankfulness. And as we walk this path, we're going to see three pillars that he's going to point out along the way. We're going to see first the benefits of our king, Second, the character of our king. And third, the love of our king. His benefits, his character, and his love. So first, let's look at his benefits. Look with me at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David here starts off the psalm by talking to himself. And he's talking to himself, and he's talking to his innermost being, his soul. He's saying to his soul, Bless the Lord. And notice the repetition in the first couple of verses here. Do you see it? Bless, bless. And he talks about his soul and his soul again. And we're going to see this blessing over and over throughout this, this psalm. And when you, when you come to this psalm, which is Hebrew poetry, you need to remember that repetition is kind of like the underlining of this day. Remember, this is an oral culture, and often they're going to be reading these psalms out loud. And so if you hear it over and over and over, it's kind of like reading it in bold. And so why is David bolding this? Why is he telling himself To bless the Lord. Well, we see it in verse 2. So that he would not what? Forget not all his benefits. So he would not forget the benefits of his king. And if you see in verse 3, and proceeding from there, we're going to see all the benefits that he's going to list. And we're going to hear benefit after benefit after benefit. And I think he's doing this to kind of overwhelm us with all of these amazing benefits that we get from our king. He overwhelms us. You see these benefits? He forgives. He heals. He redeems. He crowns. He gives love. He gives mercy. He satisfies. He renews. All these amazing benefits. And think of how David knew these benefits firsthand, if you remember his story. Remember how he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, and how he went on to repent And he received this forgiveness from the Lord firsthand in his own story. And think of how we see all these benefits embodied in Jesus. Jesus, the great healer. Remember how he touched the leper, the man that was unclean, and he went up and he touched him. He didn't have to touch him, remember? But he did that. He showed him that physical touch, that love, and he he healed him. And he would also forgive sins, if you remember, even before he healed someone. He would tell them to go on and sin no more. He has redeemed our lives from the pit. Remember how He brought Lazarus forth from the grave. How He has renewed us all through His Spirit. Us who were once spiritually dead. And He has crowned us. Even though we were undeserving, what do we receive? Steadfast love and mercy. As one commentator put it, in our culture, one gets crowned for our exceptional performance. In the kingdom of God, we get crowned because of Jesus' performance and his bestowal of grace. And in verse 5, we see that the benefits continue. He is renewing us. He is is satisfying us and renewing us. Our thirst for joy, for meaning, for significance, for renewal. Do Do you thirst for that? That is what we get from our King. Beauty, meaning, significance, spiritual renewal. And so kind of, you hear this over and over and over, all these benefits, and you think to yourself, how could anyone ever forget these benefits? How could we forget such a thing? For us that were condemned in iniquity, those plagued with diseases, those stuck in the pit, how could we forget all these things that we've received in return? And the reality is we all do. For me, especially as someone who grew up in New England, the months of January and February are some of the hardest months of the entire year for me. And growing up where it's just dark, and the wind hurts your face, and it's cold, and you're stuck inside. Like, my freshman year of college, I was living in Massachusetts. There was this two-week period where I remember every morning we had to wake up early to shovel out my roommate's car. It was awful. And then we would, like, chip off all the ice. You know, you had to, like, heat up the car early. And then you get to class. And then by the time you get home from class, it's still dark. And then you don't want to go outside. So you're just stuck inside, and you're just kind of stuck in your own head. And unfortunately, I think that a lot of January and February, I still experience this, especially the post-lull of the holidays and the kind of emotional highs. And then January and February hits me. And so recently, I kind of found myself in this kind of mindset of cynicism, of grumbling, of being discouraged by things that usually wouldn't discourage me so easily. And then someone put this question before me. They asked me, How does it affect our outlook and attitude when we know everything good we have is from God? Let me say that again. How does it affect our outlook and attitude when we know everything good we have is from God? I finally paused and spent a moment really considering that question. And what I found is I was overwhelmed with all of the good gifts that God has given me. I thought about my marriage with Leanne, and I thought about little Wilson, who's cooing while I'm preaching right now. (laughs) and it just welled up inside of me, this thankfulness that wasn't there. And I just found myself so profoundly thankful, and I found this cynicism began to kind of melt away. The laughter that is in our lives, Sir Wilson, just brought me joy. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, as we sing. It is so easy to forget the benefits of our King, to let our eyes stray from our King and on to our circumstances. Have you felt similarly prone to forget the many benefits that are offered to us in Christ? What rhythms of thankfulness have you built into your own prayer life? What habits or routines could you instill into your life now to transform your heart towards greater thankfulness? At a recent middle school retreat, the speaker talked about uh, um, someone that he knew who would come home every day and he would pick a leaf off of his bush right before he walked through the door. And over time, you know, eventually there's not many leaves left on this bush, right? And so his kids kind of began to ask him, like, what is going on? Will you leave that bush alone? What's going on? And finally he explained to them that every day when he comes home from work, he would take a leaf off and let it fall to the ground. And as the leaf hit the ground, he would pray to God that all of the burdens and all the stresses of work would leave him, and that when he walked through that door, he would be emotionally present and spiritually present for his kids. And a small, really short prayer that he had added to his life had a profound effect on his own spiritual life and the spiritual life of his children. And so I ask you, is there something similar to that that you could add into your own life? Some short prayer that you could maybe consider what all the blessings that you have received. Something that you could add where you could think about all you have to be thankful. Paul Miller comments on the power of something so small, on the power of thankfulness. Nothing undercuts cynicism more than a spirit of thankfulness. You begin to realize that your whole life is a gift. Thankfulness isn't a matter of forcing yourself to see the happy side of life. That would be like naive optimism. Thanking God rather restores the natural order of our dependence on God. It enables us to see life as it really is. You see, thankfulness renews our childlike faith. It, has us, it helps us to cling on to God, to depend on Him, and renews our joy and our hope and our wonder in our King. So let us hear David's plea this morning to fix our eyes on our King and to praise Him and to be thankful. But let us not only fix our eyes on His benefits, let's also fix our eyes on His character. Look with me at verses 6-8. through eight. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. David here is fixing his eyes on the attributes of God. But notice that he's not just looking at the attributes, he's actually looking at it through a lens of God's actions. He's looking at God's attributes through the historical works of God, if you notice that. These are proven actions of the Lord. These are his characters on full display. This is who God is. He brings justice to the oppressed. Think of where the people of God would find that so clearly in their own story, right? The Exodus, where God heard their cries, where He delivered them from oppression, where He delivered them from bondage. And think of how His faithfulness, His glory, and His power was on full display during the wilderness. All of the ways where He delivered them, where He provided for them, where he was faithful even while they were grumbling, while they were unfaithful, he continued to be faithful. And at verse 8, that's right, buddy. In verse 8, we hear this pinnacle, this pinnacle of God's self-revelation. Look with me in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Have you heard that before? Does that sound familiar at all to you? Maybe you heard it. It's almost a direct quote from Exodus 34.6 where God revealed Himself to His people as a God who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, full of steadfast love. That word there, steadfast love, I love that word so much. In the Hebrew, it's just one word. In English, we struggle to really translate it. We've got steadfast love, maybe you might see generosity, loving commitment. It's God's covenant-keeping love. You will see it all throughout the Old Testament. In the book of Ruth, if you, if you turn to Psalm 136, you would see it over and over and over, repeated verse after verse after verse. It is who God, God describes himself as the God of covenant keeping love, faithful to his people when we are unfaithful. This is who he is. And David continues look at verses 9 and 10. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repaying us according to our iniquities. Further actions of the Lord, displaying His mercy and His grace and His justice. We see that fully on the cross. His mercy and His justice met perfectly through the work of Christ on our behalf. As one commentator put it, God defines who He he is. No one else gets to decide what He's like. He revealed Himself to us And we must resist the temptation of worshiping the God of our imaginations. Instead, we must worship the God of revelation. And who has God revealed himself to us as? What do his actions show us? He is the God of covenant-keeping love and great forgiveness. That's our God. And think of the context, if you know the context of Exodus 34, when he revealed this to his people. Do you know what just happened just prior to that moment? What happened in Exodus 32, do you remember? Literally, Moses had been up on Mount Sinai, bringing down the Ten Commandments while they were still hot from being written by God. What, is, what are the people doing? <laughs> Worshipping a golden calf that they had just created, breaking the first and second commandment immediately. And as to these unfaithful people who were already worshiping an idol, he comes and he tells them that he's a God of great mercy, that he's a God of covenant keeping love to his unfaithful people. Instead of wiping them out, what does he do? He shows them grace and mercy. And David, too, knew this firsthand. He knew the actions of God. Think about his own sin with Uriah and Bathsheba. And it wasn't until the prophet came to him and told him the story of the lamb that was stolen, and he was angry, right? He's like, who is this guy? And he, he kind of turns the story on him like a mirror. And it's like, you are. You're the man, David. David. It wasn't until that moment where he began to repent, went on to write Psalm 51 and repented, and he experienced the mercy and steadfast love of God. Mercy, grace, patience, steadfast love. This is our king. This is his character. Have you experienced the mercy, grace, and steadfast love of God? The psalmist David urged himself to reflect on the character of his king. He spent time contemplating the faithfulness and the grace of his Lord. Do you spend time in prayer reflecting on God's faithfulness in your own life? How he has acted throughout your life, how he has acted throughout redemptive history. What what role does that play in your prayer life? One book I read recently was a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And author Tish Warren talked about how she started a new practice, Where for a long period she had found herself waking up in the morning and the first thing she did is she would pick up her phone, right? A lot of us do this too. Every day, day after day, the first thing she would do is she would worship a glowing screen right next to herself. And so what she started to do is she started to wake up in the morning to make her bed and just sit on it for five minutes in prayerful silence. Five minutes of not being productive, not looking at the news, right? Just sitting there, reminding herself that she is a creature that God is her God, and that everything was still okay. And that small practice of prayerful silence that she added to her life. Some of us, our schedules are so tightly packed, right? We run from one thing to the next, and functionally God is kind of out of our life. We have no time for him. That We ignore him through our daily grind. And the psalmist David here is urging us to slow down, and to take a moment and reflect on God's character, on his actions in our life, on his mercy, on his steadfast love, to slow down. Let us hear David's call today to reflect on our king's character. But not only that, let us also look at his love. Look with me at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. David here is about to try and attempt the impossible. He is going to try and define the love of God. It is impossible. And he's going to do this through different illustrations. First, we see vertically, right? How, how amazing is the love of God? How, how much does it expand vertically? From the heavens to the earth. Infinite. So great is his what? Do you notice it too? What's that kind of love? His steadfast love. Again, that word keeps coming up. His covenant-keeping love. His said love over and over. And then in verse 12, he's going to go horizontally. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is that? Infinitely. That's how far our worst moments of our lives have been removed from us. Our biggest shames. Completely removed and paid for and atoned. By the work of Jesus on the cross. And then he gives us another amazing illustration. look at verse 13, "As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is an illustration of God's proximity, his imminence, his fam- familial nature towards us. And this is an extremely intimate illustration as well. and we notice that in a couple ways, like first through the lens of a father, right the judge who has just told us that we are not guilty, that all our debts are paid, comes off of the stand and walks down towards us. He takes off his robe and puts it around us. He puts his ring on our finger and he tells us that we're going to come home and move into his house. And not only that, we have a place set for us at Thanksgiving dinner. And we're going to be in the Christmas photo. And we're going to get a sweater knit with our name on it that we get to wear every Christmas. That is the kind of intimacy that he is talking about here. We are a part of his family. The king loves us as a father. And look at this word compassion. We just have this word uh, translated as compassion, but in the Hebrew, this is kind of a motherly love. If you look throughout the Old Testament when this word is usually used, it's usually about a mother's love for his children. It's this kind of holding love, this nurturing love, this caring and embracing type of love. This is what the father feels towards us. He loves us like a Father. He wants to nurture us and embrace us. And look at verses 14 to 16. Our Father not only loves us, but He knows us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place it knows no more. God knows our frailties. He knows that we are created. And the truth is no matter how many times we go to the gym, no matter how many times we skip dessert, we are not going to last forever. We have an expiration date. But you know what does not end? Do you know what doesn't have an expiration date? Do you know what we what persists from generation to generation and what our grandchildren and their grandchildren can found their lives upon? Look at verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. God's steadfast uh, love does not end. His, His said love, his covenant keeping love goes from everlasting to everlasting. As I read this, you know, through the lens of myself as a new father with the nine month old Wilson, I cannot help but be overwhelmed by this. This illustration really pulls at me so deeply because Wilson has brought so much laughter and so much joy to our lives. And I shared the last time how we, how I, when I preached about how you know through the pregnancy we prayed and prayed because there were some complications, and to see Wilson now be a healthy, happy, bright, like just goofball, right? We love him so much. And I mean, you just have to look at one of our phones. It is filled with pictures and videos. I think <laughs> Apple is having a crisis because Leanne's storage is like maxed out, and they're. Their servers are probably on fire right now, because we have it's just filled with videos of him laughing or doing something silly and just bringing joy to our life. But over the last year, I've really felt myself changing as well. And I, I read some articles that talked about how the brains of new moms and new dads literally do change. Our areas in our brain that are connected to empathy and emotional connection actually begin to grow. And neurons that weren't firing like they are now are firing all over the place. And all it takes is one look at Wilson's smile, right? And my heart is doing flips in my chest, and I'm just overwhelmed. I never used to experience that from looking at a baby before. (laughs) But there's something about Wilson that my brain is just, can't handle it, right? But to think, taking that reality and then putting it on the face of God and his view of me, how crazy is that? God shows compassion like a father. He deeply cherishes us, he nurtures us, and he desires to literally pick us up in his arms and to hold us. That is what David is telling us today. It's hard to not be overwhelmed that our Father in heaven wants to pick us up and tell us that he is proud of us. What an amazing truth. How does this truth change our lives? How does it change our prayer lives? How could it not, right? How could it not? Brandon Manning once said, Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. If our identity is secure in Christ, if we are deemed as God's beloved based upon his character and love alone, what does that mean for us? This means that our identity as beloved is not based upon our performance. It's not based on our performance. It means that we can come to God with our problems knowing that he will meet us there. It means that we can surrender those areas of our life that we work so hard to keep under our control, to keep with a tight, hard, closed fist and we don't want to let go of, that we can surrender those to him. It means that we can listen to the Spirit's voice louder than any other voice in our ear telling us what makes us worthy and what gives us value. And instead, we can hear the clear voice of God saying, I love you, and you are my beloved. It means that even if we have gone through a season of functionally ignoring God, we can return to Him, and we can renew an intimate prayer life without any feeling of shame, without any I told you so's. That is offered to us. One author put it this way, The gospel is one-way love, without end. We are already loved, and because we are loved, we no longer have to live in fear. We no longer have to live reactively, posturing, pretending and performing. The further good news is that even when we live reactively, we are still loved and still held firm in the Abba's arms. Amen. What would change in your life if you truly embrace this identity as God's beloved? How would your prayer life be impacted? Our text today, the wonderful thing about this psalm is that it preaches itself. Look at itself. You are going to see Jesus everywhere in this psalm. Christ is our benefit. Through his death on the cross, our iniquities were forgiven. In his return, all diseases will be healed. He redeemed our lives from the pit through the work of the Spirit. In union with him, we were crowned and we received steadfast love and mercy we are satisfied in him, we are renewed in him. On the cross, righteousness and justice were perfectly displayed. In Christ, we see the mercy and grace of God incarnate, his slowness to anger, his abounding and steadfast love. In his death, our iniquities were paid for, and as a result of our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. In his life, we see the compassionate and fatherly love of God. Amen? Amen. And so, as David's already written this for it, I want to respond. Look at verses 19 to 22. Praising our king and praising his benefits, his character, and his love. Read with me. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. Let us pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for this amazing text, filled with truths of your profound, compassionate, fatherly love for us. Even while we were unfaithful, you faithfully give us your grace and your mercy. In your name we pray. Amen.